Welcome to Splinters, courtesy of The Bench, your Friday night sports fix. Available online and replayed on Triple H 100.1 FM. Now, here's your host, the wise man, Matt Mears. Yes, welcome to this week's edition of Splinters. I am the wise man, Matt Mears. And we have a special two-part rugby show for you tonight. First off... We have the Australian team in the Super Rugby Championships. Who's in, who's out? What's all the goings on? We'll even have our thoughts on the first couple of games for each side in the Australian Conference before our part two will have a special look at Rugby Australia and uh, obviously much maligned, much talked about this Australian Rugby Union. They uh, obviously make the news and the headlines for a lot of the wrong reasons, but we'll take a little bit of a look at what they do right, what they do wrong, and and maybe some ideas that we can give them uh, in going forward to make sure that they can uh, make themselves back to that rugby power that we know that they can be and that they were in the in the in the past. But as I said, a special for part one of this edition of Splinters is the Super Rugby Preview. And joining me for this will be the Hat Rack. He is Ringa, Ringa Rat's number one son. He's, all, he's our rugby expert here on the bench, Shane Evans. Shane, welcome to Splinters. G'day, Mizzy. Thanks for bringing me off the bench for this one. Uh, listeners, we're going to have some fun here today, talking about our four Super Rugby sides. Obviously, a lot has changed especially with the coaching structure in the Rugby Australia setup as well, which we'll get on to later in the second part of the, the program, because obviously we don't have Michael Checker on board anymore as the <laughs> Australian coach, which I'm hearing Jacob Wallina and a few of the other guys cheering their little heads off at the moment because they were trying to have him booted out pre-World Cup, but they stuck with him to after the World Cup had finished, and now they've got a new coach in there, but... That can be more discussed in the second half of the program. Well, yeah, there's a lot to speak about Rugby Australia, and yes, we'll get that into the second part. But first, we will concentrate just on those four Australian sides. Obviously, a big Super Rugby season coming up off the back of the World Cup in Japan. We spoke a lot about Japan hosting the World Cup over the last couple of months on the bench and on splinters, saying about how it is. it was one of the best World Cups to see how the Japanese people really got in to the hosting and, and how their, their fans turn up to games and, and how the Japanese team won. But before we go into the preview, this year will be the last year of the Sunwolves in the competition, Shane. It has been confirmed that they will not participate in 2021 and on. For mind, it, it's a bit of a loss. I think it is a a part of the world that they should be exploring rugby. Obviously, the World Cup was a big success, but then a year afterwards, you find out that their one major team, if you like, is not going to continue on. It, it, it is a shame, and there's a lot of players at that level that are going to be lost if they can't find other spots in European rugby or in other Super Rugby teams. No, I have to agree. If you, you've had such a successful World Cup in Japan, the worst thing you could have done was to get rid of uh, Tokyo Sunwolves. You'd be trying to actually build on that that Asian influence from the team itself. When you see their games, no matter what time of, of the weekend they play, they're always playing in front of packed out stadiums. Even when they come into Australia, like I've had a bit of time with the Brumbies through their through their media channels, and when we had them at down at Canberra Stadium last year, 
we were only just short of selling out and Julia Stadium is 25,000. I think they post about 23 and a half. So they do get a decent following over here. But it is going to be a shame not to see the Sunwolves running around for the 2021 season. But it's now the last chance for the current squad to be able to press their claims to either get into expanded squads in the four Australian teams the five New Zealand teams, or possibly try and get themselves into some of the European competitions. As I said, a big shame that we won't see the Sunwolves there, but perhaps maybe a little bit of extra motivation for them this season, having to prove themselves um, for those spots. So maybe we might see something there. Maybe there might be an 11th hour um, Dupree for them. They might be seen again, but at this stage, we won't see them. I think a big shame, but uh, we'll obviously have more across that as we continue to cover the Super Rugby tournament on the bench and on splinters as the months continue. But this is what we're here for, Shane, the Super Rugby preview. First up, we'll go in alphabetical order, your ACT Brumbies. Um, they're looking at having a big season, obviously a few big ins and outs for them. Do you want to go through them for us? Certainly is. Well, the biggest in, I'd have to say at the moment, as yourself, Mizzy, we're both NRL fans. Uh, one of the biggest players to come into the ACT Brumbies is former New Zealand Warriors player in Solomon Carter. He'll come in and play in the centres. From what I've seen and heard from a few of the people down there, he is absolutely tearing up this training field at the moment. He's also bulked up a little bit. He's put a bit of weight on, which is good. But for any of our rugby league players, fans that have seen him play, He's a bit of a beast at the moment. He's just going to get bigger and stronger. But for all the other, all the other players coming in, you've got Harry Lloyd, who's coming up from the Canberra Vikings. Sham Vui, who's also, who was with the Tokyo Sunwolves last season, he's on an extended train and trial contract with the club. Lachlan Lonigan has come up from the Shoot Shield here in Sydney. Same with Nick Frost. He's come across from Sydney University. Caden Neville, who's been picked up from the Canberra Vikings, he'll probably more play in their ACT runners, which is their second team that they have in the reserve-type competition. For anyone that knows about northern suburbs here in Sydney, Will Miller has been the number eight for the northern suburbs first-grade shoot shield side for years. He's finally picked himself up a contract with the Brumbies, and they're looking at him being their starting number eight. Other players coming through, Isaac Fines, Noel Aliso, Rijan Passiato, who is from the Pacific Islands. I remember it was Tonga. He's on a train and trial contract as well. Also Guy Porter, who was at the was down at Melbourne Rebels. He has also come up and seen the light decide to come up a little bit further up the coast. And then, as we mentioned before, you had Solomon Okada. Players out. There's a fair few of them. Most of these have been because they're going over to Europe. Vunapola Fafida, Josh Man Ray is going to France. Rory Arnold has gone back to England to play in the European competition over there. Sam Carter has gone to Japan to play in their company-based competition for the Panasonic Wild Knights. Ben Hine, David Pocock, which everyone knows through the Wallabies. Matt Lucas has gone down south to the Rebels. Christian Liliofano has gone to France to make a lot of money. We're talking about $1.4 million a year here, ladies and gentlemen. 
Wairunu Hawera, who only come over on a 12-month deal, decided he wanted to go home, so he's going back over to New Zealand. Jordan Jackson Hope has stood down for personal reasons for this season, hopefully back in 2021. Luoso Tuiali has done the same thing, just wants to go home for a while. And former rugby league player in Chance Penny. Also, there's some big outs there. Probably the two that stand out to me would be David Pocock and Christian Liliofano. They're going to be big holes in that Brumby side for 2020. Is there anyone, in your opinion, there that can stand up and fill those big holes? Well, in the number eight, obviously, I think Will Miller will walk straight into that position, which was David Pocock's spot on the, in the number eight. In the ten for Liliofano, he could also play in the in 11, 12, 13, and 15 as well. I've got a feeling you're probably going to see Tommy Wright, who we saw off the bench as fans last year playing limited minutes. He's going to have to step up into the... Well, he's an interesting one. You, you mentioned NRL. He is a yeah. former Manly Seagull, Tommy Wright. It'll yeah. be interesting to see like he, he has that rugby background. He came to, to rugby league. It was much touted that he was being signed across from Rugby Union when he signed with the Seagulls. Mm. Got limited opportunities. Played a lot of um, Canterbury Cup. Did play, I think, two or three NRL games. Showed a lot when he did get a chance in that NRL side, um, uh, particularly with ball in hand. So be interesting to see with Tommy, can he play those big minutes and have that impact that the that fans would want him to have? Yeah, got to agree there. In regards to the halves to cover for Lelia Fano, obviously Joe Prowl, who was the number two, the number two fly half in the Brumby setup, he's now going to step up to the number one role. But you haven't got you got Mac Hanson. He's not a bad second second fly half number ten to come in. He's been in the system for a couple of years, but it's been more learning and understanding. You're just trying to understand the process because obviously if you're playing in the NRC or you're playing in just the John Dean Cup, which is the A-grade version of the rugby down in Canberra, it's a big step up. It's like going from playing Sydney Shield to making your NRL debut. It's a massive step, so you've got to learn it all. But, yeah, it'd be good to see how Mac Hansen actually pulls up I know that they're playing, they're starting him in the trials and they're letting, they're letting Joe Powell be able to only just have a few minutes here and there through these trials before they start. It's just scary when you think about it. It's only a couple of weeks away, or not even that, until we actually start the first game on the 31st of January. Well, it's a week and a half away, Shane. We'll get our thoughts at the end of the segment in regards to uh, the first round and how we think the teams will go. But next off, we'll head to the Melbourne Rebels. Um, obviously, a few good ins, but an, a lot of big outs for them as well. There certainly is. Just looking through the list I've got here, there's, there's one that I'm actually very proud of being a Warringah rat. Boyd Killingworth, who's former former Australian Sevens, he come back to the Ringarats last for the 2019 season, was able to play 12 games for the Rats in the Shoot Shield and the Grand Final, and from that performance, was able to pick up a three-year deal with the with the Melbourne Rebels. Other players coming in a note, you've got Harry Potter. No, it's not the fictional character from the from the movie series. It's not the Channel Ten reporter. No, it's not that one. <laughs> no, he's no, he's the actually he's actually the number nine that played for Sydney Uni against the Rats in the game final, in which he ended up being the difference in the game. But it's good to see they're actually going to be both on the same side. 
You've also got Andrew Kellaway, who's coming down from the Queensland Reds set up to, to play. There's not a real lot of other players out here that I know of. Declan Moore, he's been in the lower systems here at the New South Wales Waratahs. Cameron Orr, Ruan Smith, who was with New South Wales, but it was only a 12-month deal, wants to stay in Australia, become Australian citizen. So he's gone across to the Melbourne Rebels. James Tuttle, Michael Wells, Cabius Aloff, or as he likes to be called, Caddy for short, and Andrew Deegan, who's also been in the junior setup, but has now been promoted into a full-time contract in the Melbourne Rebels. Guys coming out, there's a, there's a few here. Ben Daly, Tatera Faulkner, Sam Talakai, Robbie Abel, who was in the World Cup squad for the Wallabies, obviously, before the end of the season. Hugh Roach, Adam Coleman, he's gone across to France. Will Genia, one of the guys that everyone in Australia knows, He's deciding to retire for good. He's not doing any coaching, nothing. Don't, expect, don't be surprised to see him pop up into one of the different media outlets, be it through pay TV or through the or through just normal free-to-air TV. He'll end up somewhere as a oh. as a comments and analyst. That, the mind of his is very sharp. He's one person you would don't want to lose to the competition. Oh, of course, he'll, be, he'll turn up somewhere. Mm. I said, with a, with a player of his calibre, if he's on the comments, you've seen the the plethora of of um, ex players go into those roles. He'd be certainly someone that'd be very good at it. And the last but not least, guys that we most of our listeners will know, Quade Cooper. <laughs> yes, I know. He's bounced from every, almost every Super Rugby club in Australia. He's going to go and have his sojourn over in France, play for Stade de France and play for a couple of years. Pick up about three and a half, four million dollars. Oh, and just, then, and just and only, only three and a half or four million. Only just a nice little retirement fund, as they, as they call it these days. And then he'll come back in 2023 and come into a coaching role in the Rebels organisation. So. Not a bad little payoff for it, but again, though we're talking we're talking big big losses in Genya and Cooper, the nine and the ten. I said right with the Brumbies where they had to find some people to lift. Obviously, the likes of Matt Tamua in the back line, he can sort of step up and fill one of those roles. Mm-hmm. But Shane, there's still going to have to be some other people that are going to have to step up in this Rebel side. Yeah, agree with you with Matt Tamua. He's going to have to lead this side around now. You're also going to have Harry Potter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> he's going to cast a few spells, six yeah, yeah. Spellatronus <laughs> or whatever it is. He's going, to, he's going to weave his magic around, oh, here we go. around the field. Here we go. Playing in the nine. Tamua should be starting in the ten, where Andrew Deegan will come into the centres there as well. Ryan Lowens, who was already there. Oh, this is one that we forgot to actually mention. Jack Maddox was originally meant to be playing with the Rebels, but they were able to do a deal where he will now move across to the Waratahs, and that starts officially today, like literally on like, when we're recording this now. It's only just coming through. So that's actually a weird one because you wouldn't think a week out before the Super Rugby you'd be wanting to change clubs because you could either look at it and the point of, you give away, you can give away secrets, or you have to learn the other, learn the Waratahs playbook from A to Z, and in a week you can't do it. 
Now, obviously, there's a lot more probably behind the scenes on that one. We'll, we'll, we'll wait and see as more develops on that story. But um, next off, we'll, we'll head up. Um, we'll head north. We've been south. Now we head north to the Queensland Reds and... I said, again, some big changes both in and out for them. It definitely is. In regards to players coming in, the biggest one, obviously, James O'Connor is coming back from England and all of that, which allowed him to play in the in the World Cup. The one person I'm hating to see in the Queensland Maroon is former centre and winger from the HT Brumbies in Henry Spate. If you see him play, he is... Almost like if you, if for our rugby league fans, if you know what Sonny Bill used to look like with the big permed hair and the, fr- the afro, Henry Spade is exactly the same, but he runs about 10 times quicker than Sonny Bill Williams. But apart from that, it's only just really bringing up guys from their lower, from their academy side in David Fayo, Josh Nasser, Sean Farrell, Tawi Tualima. He used to go by the name of Vital, Vital Lima who used to be playing in the New South Wales Cup, or Canterbury Cup, as is now known, for Parramatta, went to Hull for a season. Now he's come back and he's playing under his mum's maiden name. Also, you've got Michael Wood, Tommy Kibble, Saru Aru, Carter Gorgon, and Hunter Basami. But these are all the young players that are now making the step up to the full-time squad. For the outs... So you've got Gavin Luca, Ruan Smith, like we said, going down to the Rebels. Ethi Marfu, Adam Korzik, he's retired. Caleb Timu, who moved across from the moved across from the Canterbury Crusaders. It just didn't work out, so he's gone home. Scott Higginbotham has finally retired. Sorry, Scott, I know you, I know you'll be listening, but yeah. <laughs> About time, Father Time's finally tapped you on the shoulder. Also James Tuttle, Matt McGahn, Teti Teller. Samu Karebi, he's gone across to France. Duncan Payal, Seb Wildman's come back to the shoot shield for Ringer. Hallelujah from all the Rats fans. Will Eady, Sefu Novalu, Liam McNamara and Aiden Tua, they've all just headed back into New South Wales shoot shield or into the Queensland, the, the St John's Hospital A-grade cup. All right, well, yeah, some ins and outs there. Probably not as major as we heard from the first two sides, but uh, in your opinion, Shane, is there anybody there that needs to stand out for them um, in order for the Reds to have a good season? Well, obviously the two names that come to come to mind at the moment, if you're going to bring James O'Connor back from England and you're going to be paying him a nice little salary, around about 900000 as a as a starter, he has to come back and make that 12 jersey his own, like it used to be four or five years ago. And he's going to have Henry Spade on his outside in the 11. Henry just needs to be able to build into the season. You're not going to get the best out of him to probably about round three or round four, because obviously you're learning a different set of structures from the Brumbies setup that he was in for four or five years coming up to Queensland. But apart from that, it's just, pretty much stock standard. We know that they've had a trial a couple of weeks ago against the Rebels. They played their whole squad, end up winning 57-5. to Very impressive from what I could see. The next trial is a few days before the Super Rugby season starts. They'll play New South Wales up in Dolby in regional Queensland. 
which also class can become a charity game. So all monies raised will go towards the bushfires that we've been talking about on the bench for months at the moment. So good to see they're doing a good thing there for the rugby. But apart from that, I'm still seeing this this red side as being contenders, not pretenders like they were a couple of seasons ago. Well, last but certainly not least, we'll come close to home, the New South Wales Waratahs. And obviously a lot of us here... Um, in the uh, North Shore and, and surrounds of Sydney, obviously follow the, the fares of the Waratahs the most. Israel Folau and out. Hopefully that will mean that the Waratahs won't have that sort of stewing them in their mix and they can move on and move upwards without him there. But um, Shane, um, the ins and outs, the rest of the ins and outs for the Waratahs this season. Yeah, so you've got coming in as Terra Faulkner, like we mentioned before, he's coming, he's coming back from the Melbourne Rebels, Robbie Abel's the same. Tom Horden has come up from Sydney University, Shoot Shield. Charlie Gamble is from the Academy squad. Carlo Tenzano, from the bit of, bit of knowledge I have about him, he's actually coming through from the Academy side from the Argentina Jaguars to come across here. He wants to have a crack where he's getting more game time. He only got about 25, 30 minutes over the whole Super Rugby season last year with them. Michael McDonald, another one for a rugby league fans, former Parramatta player, and Tepai Morale. He'll be based with the Western Sydney Two Blues if he was to go back to play Shoot Shield. Joey Walton. And last but not least, in the trial they've had about a week or so ago out at Leichhardt Oval, also played in the under-20s World Cup in France last year, is Mark Nayawana Katasi. I know I've made a mistake. <laughs> it's uh, all right. I've made a reputation. That's how yeah. I built my character on the benches, stuffing up people's names. So we'll let, we'll let you with a pass with that uh, one, Shane. Uh, Mark, is, Mark is the full, was the fullback with Eastern Southern Shoot Shield for the 2019 season. Will still be there if he's needed, but they've, they've got him locked in to be the fullback to cover for Israel Folau. Like you said, it's now all behind it. He's now gone from rugby altogether. They can now come in with a clean slate. They're not going to have that, all the rubbish with Folau over their heads over it, and it's done. The guy's going out. This is a disappointing one, but I can understand why he has. Sakopi Kepu, he's gone across to England to, to make a nice little bit of coin before he retires at the end of this season coming up. Sham Vuli, he's the one that I told you about, was going down to the ACT Brumbies. Tolu Latu, he's just going back into the shoot shield. LaRue Rowitz, he's gone back to South Africa. Will Miller, as we said, he'll be the he'll be the gentleman that will take over Pocock at number eight at the Brumbies. Michael Wells, he just needed a year away. He's got a long-term injury. Nick Phipps has gone across to France. Bernard Foley's going to join him over there. John Folau only played about four or five weeks and then got cut once the stuff with Israel started. Curtis Rayner, he's decided to go back to West Australia. You'll see him turn up in the Western Force for the for the Andrew Forest or Twiggy Forest Global Global Rapid Rugby that you may have seen later later last year. And obviously Israel Folau going out. But also a new coach in Rob Penny. 
Yeah, well, as I said, it's going to be a big task with um, for, for Rob Penny. Nick Phipps and Bernard Foley, you're 9 and 10 going out. It seems to be a common theme that we're seeing across all the Australian sides, having to find some new experience in those halves. You can see Kirtley Bill, he's going to have to put his name up for that number 15 jersey and make it his own, unless he's going to have to be one of those halves replacements, Shane. Is there anybody there that in that lineup that you can see that will be able to stand up for the Waratahs this year? Yeah, like I was saying before, we've with Mark Nayawana Katasi, I reckon he'll still, he played really good fullback in the trial that I was able to see at Leichhardt when they played against the Highlanders. Played 65, 70 minutes before they brought him off. Real good player. I reckon he's got that 15 jersey stitched up. I reckon you're going to see Kirtley Bill in the, in the halves, probably in the 10. You've also got Jake Gordon that can play in the 9. You've also got Mac Mason. He can float in 10 or 9, but that, that's your three That's your three halves. Apart from that, they're really struggling for anyone else that you could really say would be in the, the 9 or the 10 jersey. But the club's got an actual got a wider training squad, but that's more just the young guys coming through. But we won't Give worry. them a bit of experience, yeah. 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 That's we won't worry about that. It's squads when it comes <laughs> to, to the NRL. Like you have your normal 25, and you have four or five guys that are on what they call development contracts. Mm. That's what the that's what these guys are wrong with the Waratahs. Just get some opportunity to learn how to be them. But they'll basically spend their time with the shoot shield clubs that they were at before they signed the contracts. In the forwards, Michael Hooper's gonna have to stand up and work with this side that he's got. Obviously Rory O'Connor, Chris Talakai, Tom Staniforth, Hugh Sinclair coming from North Sydney, Rob Simmons, Angus Bell. All these guys that have, have come across from Sydney Union and Northern Suburbs are going to have to step up because they're going to be the nucleus of this New South Wales Waratahs team for 20, 21 and 22 before these new guys that are on these development contracts come through and get to take their spots. All right, well, we've gone through the four teams. Obviously, the Sunwolves also make up a part of the um, Australian Conference as well, but I'm going to put you on the spot here now. The winner of the Australian Conference will go through to the Super Rugby Finals. You would not really expect any of the other Australian teams to fill up any of those spots. Which is that team that's going to fill the... Uh, who's going to win the Australian Conference? Well, I'm going to... I know I'm going to get my backside kicked by, by all my friends down at the, down in Canberra, but I'm actually going to say I think the Queensland Reds are the, the team that are going to finish top of, our, of the pool for Australia. So my feeling would be... Queensland, ACT, New South Wales, Rebels coming in fourth, and obviously the Sunwolves, possibly them or Rebels finishing in that four and five position. But yeah, I, the just from the preseason stuff, I can't see anything go past the Queensland Reds. But the first couple of rounds will be really interesting because obviously the Australian teams having local derbies against each other, that's going to kind of knock everything knock everything into place early. Well, well, quickly, because time's at the essence, we will cover more of the Super Rugby as we probably on next week's The Bench Show leading into the first round. But just the Australian games first up, Friday night, January 31st, Brumbies are at home against the Reds. Yeah, that's the seven, That's the late game down at GIO Stadium. This game, I would almost say, this one sorts out your... Yeah, you t- you, you, whoever wins the title for you're going to call it in the first round is going to decide that, it that's going to be a huge step when you think about it 
all the Australian teams play each other twice, but that's going to be that whoever gets that first game footing is going to be so important. But then, well, they said then then on on Saturday, first of February, the Rebels travel to play the Sunwolves. Yeah, they certainly do. This would be an interesting game if the Rebels can keep their trial form up over the Sunwolves. They should win. But then again, you've got to remember, this is Summers last season. They're going to want to go out and they want to go and play party crusher for every team they play against this year. I'm going to call the upset Summers to get that. Certainly, last but not least, also on the 1st of Feb, the Waratahs playing the crossover game, probably the hardest game first up to have. They travel across the Dutch to play the Crusaders. They certainly do, but this Canterbury Crusaders side is nowhere near the strength that it was last year. Half of the players have moved on. That's why they were so happy to get the, the three-peat. But they've lost, I think, about seven or eight players. They've all gone to France and to England, and they want to be playing over there. And they're making their money before they retire. So they've taken their superannuation payouts, and they've gone overseas. But the Crusaders will still do well. They'll still finish in the top two for the New Zealand Conference. I think the Waratahs will struggle. They won't win it, but they won't be embarrassed. Well, that's the Super Rugby preview here on Splinters. Make sure you keep tuning into the bench on Friday nights where we'll cover the round-by-round action. Shane Evans, thank you very much for joining us for the Super Rugby preview. Mate, no problem. And as usual, tune into the bench every Friday night and get to hear us. Certainly will. But we'll take a break now here on Splinters. We'll be right back after this to discuss... All the little nuances and everything going on at Rugby Australia. The 2019 Australian Ice Hockey League season has concluded with your All About Caring Sydney Bears winning it all. That doesn't mean it's all over for the year on the hockey front. Log on to bearsshop.com.au for all your Bears merchandise options. And stay tuned to Splinters and the Bench for updates coming out of the Australian Women's Ice Hockey League and the world's top competition, the National Hockey League. Sydney Bears, hear us roar. Sponsors of Triple H. Welcome back to Splinters the Bench podcast. Whether you're listening here on Triple H 100.1 FM, TripleHFM.com.au, or any of our plethora of podcasting sites, whether they're they're the good or the bad ones, we don't care as long as you're listening. I am the wise man Matt Mears, back with you, the veteran of 76 games for the mighty. DY Lions rugby club between under sevens and under twelves. And I'm joined here for our next part of the rugby podcast this week for what's next for Rugby Australia by a man who graciously allowed the New South Wales Waratahs into his home, into his baby, into his premises, his lordship, his domain. He is the Lord Mayor. Of Leichhardt, his Lord Manners, Keith Topolsky. Oh, it wouldn't be splinters without you and I on the on the broadcast. How how are you getting the hosting gig? I have spoken to Tony about this, and this is just off the this is just off the wall insane. Now, I don't know how you're getting the gig, but okay, we must be hard up for a host. Well, yeah, I think I'm about the seventh or eighth person in line to be hosting this episode, but. I am a professional. I will stand up when others won't and deliver for our 
splinters for our bench fans every week to keep giving them that content that they desire. Well, all right then, but I'll, I'll have to speak to Tony about other people pulling their weight. Well, maybe that might be a good idea because there's certainly some people that need to pull their weight, but we'll give the fans what they want for whatever reason. They seem to like our dynamic between us two. So let's give them a bit of a bonus of us two here, even if it is just for part two of this special rugby splinters. All right. Let, let's see what you got. Let's see what you got. Keep me interested for, for the half hour or so. Well, I'll try and keep you as interested as I can. I know it's a bit hard. I know I know we're not talking about the West Tigers or some game that they play on ice over in America, but Rugby Australia, obviously, it's a big, hot topic. The media obviously love to find their uh, big news stories out of it. There's there's obviously the, the Israel Folau saga that... I know that we don't really need to harp on about again, but it is probably important to to mention in the direction that it has taken Rugby Australia currently. Well, the the blow-up with the Israel-Falau saga really came back to a starting point. I'd want to go further than that. I think you go all the way back to David Pocock when he decided to go on his environmental crusade and basically chain himself to a farm gate, which could be construed as an act of vandalism. Now, I, I don't say this because I have political differences with David Pocock, although I think it's fairly obvious that I do. But You the have problem political there, differences with most normal people, but we won't go there. The problem... <laughs> I can't argue with that. The problem, <laughs> the problem that Rugby Australia created for itself in allowing David Pocock to do what he did was that it gave him the opportunity to get on his pulpit, if you'll pardon the pun or the illusion of one, to start preaching about what he believed in. And that really set the tone for Rugby Australia that, okay, if David Pocock's going to preach what he believes in, then we're all going to preach what we believe in. And it was only a matter of time until somebody came along with views that the majority of Australians find repugnant, whether they are repugnant or not, is beside the point. But the majority of Australians probably don't agree with what Israel Folau is saying, but now we're in a position, or Rugby Australia's in a position, where they allowed David Pocock to have his say, and it would be wrong not to allow Israel Folau to have his say. And that was Folau's basic point. You can't stop me from having my say just because you disagree with me, and all of a sudden, Rugby Australia found themselves in a gaping chasm because they decided to shut somebody down who they did not agree with. And that was where the problem began, not coming down on David Pocock. And now, all of a sudden, you've got this big drama where junior rugby is short of money and it's obscenely short of money because they had to create a big payout for Israel Folau. And that is going back years and years and years and it, it, I think it began before Raylene Castle got there, but Raylene Castle, <laughs> that turned out to be a great recruitment decision by Rugby Australia, just exacerbated the situation, really. Well, I think Raylene Castle's appointment, yeah, I, I think could be questioned, and I think a lot of decisions could be questioned. Another decision that they made, the removal of the Western Force from the Super Competition, the Super Rugby Competition, I said it was it was in a stranglehold there where it, it was the only rectangular 
rugby sport in Perth. It had its following. It, it was probably about the only club in Australia that was actually making a product a profit. It was having it was having spectators turn up. There is the appetite still there. You can even show with Twiggy Forest's World Global Force Rugby Championship or whatever rival to the Super Rugby that, that Twiggy Forest is actually funding at the moment. They're still getting very decent crowds. And they're even filling the old NIB, not sure what they call it now, Perth Rectangular Stadium, even now without being in a major competition. So that, another decision like that and, and basically turning their back on a whole city as well is not really endearing them to the public that they so necessarily need on side in order to, to build their profile and get players playing. No, it's not. But in terms of what they were faced with in terms of a decision, I can at least understand the logic behind getting rid of the Western Force. Because you had a situation with the Melbourne Rebels. The team was privately owned. Melbourne Rebels are privately owned. And the private owner was threatening to take them to court if his team got kicked out. And that wasn't the situation as badly with the Western Force. So you had the choice of either screwing Perth or screwing Melbourne because let, let's face it, you're not kicking out the Waratahs, the Reds or the Brumbies because if you kick any of them out, you might as well just give up on Rugby Union, close it all down and just move on to something else. So having to choose between the Rebels and the Force was a really nasty position for Rugby Australia to be in. I don't hold it entirely against them that they ran into a problem there, simply because it was more a Sanzar decision. Even though South Africa had to take a hit as well, I don't think anybody was really crying too much over the demise of the South African side. But certainly the decision with the Western Force was a difficult one, and it was always going to be a difficult one, and they just found themselves in a position that was too difficult to handle, and they just had to make a quick decision, cut their losses and run, and it ended up being a dud decision. But overall, yeah, that, that one I can forgive Rugby Australia for from a commercial perspective. But if they're trying to expand the game, which is their prerogative, then, yeah, it's an absolute cock-up. Well, that's the thing. They need to be able to expand the game, obviously, when they're in a, in a four-way war Essentially, for that football code between Union League, soccer and AFL, you need to be reaching as many ports as possible. And having that following over there where they're not really competing with Rugby League, um, AFL obviously has a stronghold, soccer as well with the glory to a lesser extent. But it just seems a weird decision. You think that they'd want to keep a hold on anywhere that didn't have a rugby league presence. But obviously, yes, the commercial factors make sense, but will it be another one of these decisions that they'll look back on in hindsight and go, mm, maybe not the best decision? Because the third the third point I want to pick up that it, obviously it's a past decision, but will be affecting Rugby Australia into, into the future is the appointment of the new of, of the new Wallabies coach, and that is New Zealander in Dave Rowney taking over from Michael Checker, who didn't have his contract renewed after the World Cup. And uh, we had it, – it seems a bit of deja vu here for Rugby Australia. It wasn't long ago that we had a New Zealander in Robbie Deans as coach of the Wallabies, and – if memory serves me right, 
it didn't end very well for the Wallabies, and there was a call very quickly to have an Australian back in charge. But now we're going with what what's old is new again, and we're going down that New Zealander route. You've got to be careful in terms of the parochialism here. To say that you need an Australian in charge, <clears throat> excuse me, is not necessarily the best way to go about it because there are people out there who can demonstrate that they can coach a rugby team to success and they're not necessarily Australian. So demanding an Australian coach is not necessarily the way to success. However, in terms of what has Dave Rennie achieved, it is more than reasonable to suggest that this is a dud appointment simply because Dave Rennie is no good. He got sacked from his super rugby team a little while ago. He took off to England, hasn't really set the world alight there, and now he's looking at a new job with Australian rugby. So you can say from a different perspective that the Dave Rennie appointment is a dud appointment, but I would be very careful going down the ultra-parochial path of, oh, no, we need an Australian. We're too proud a nation for this because it can get us into a lot of trouble when there are people out there who genuinely deserve the gig. But as I say, is Dave Rennie the genuine appointment that Rugby Australia needed? I think he's a dud, and I think he's going to be proven as such. But there's not just the Dave Rennie factor as well. I think that you can find sometimes that it's also it's more than just about results on the field. It, it's how... And I think the, this this will drive results on the field, but the the actual culture, the the behind the scenes, how how they interact with their players. We we saw and, and to use a rugby league example, obviously we're rugby league people. A lot of our fans here on Splinters are rugby league people as well. The manly example, they went away from having a a, a manly born and bred coach in Trent Barrett, one of the big up and coming coaches, had all pundits out there saying he's going to be the next big thing, but you throw him into a culture like Manly and they just didn't gel. They didn't they didn't have the same vision. The players didn't know how to take it. It, it was something against the norm. And then you see Des Hasler come back into the role, who is Manly through and through. And without much of a change of personnel, it was like that. It was like a click of the fingers and it was like the manly of old and the results came on the field. So I think there's – whether whether Dave Rennie as a person is a dud can be will be proven yes or no. But I think there's having that Australian – call it culture, call it mindset, call it being able to relate to the Australian players and how Australia play their rugby. I think that's also to be seen as well. It is. In terms of Australian rugby culture, though, how strong is the culture that they've already developed is the question because you've had players go off on their own thing and they've still got this rule, I think they call it the Gitto rule, where you can play overseas and still be selected for the Wallabies provided you've played a certain number of tests. That the retirement rule. The retirement rule. If yeah, the, like. the, the superannuation fund. Pretty much, yeah. So... If that's going to be the rule that you have to allow players to head off overseas once they've done their Super Rugby dues and then they can cash in with European clubs, I'm not going to begrudge them the opportunity to cash in with European clubs. If they can set themselves up for life, they have the right to do it. And I applaud them. Good luck to them. But you can't then turn around and say, we're building a strong Australian culture where the nation comes first and 
the hell with everybody else because Australia first, Australia first, Australia first, except for these blokes who get to go over to England and earn three billion quid for five minutes work. <laughs> you can't you can't have it both ways. Is it Australia first or is it Australia when you feel like coming back and when you're not earning the extra coin and all that sort of thing and blah, blah, blah. I noticed that New Zealand don't have it. South Africa very rarely touches it. They're, they're loath to do it, but sometimes you've got players that are just that good that you have to do it. My question would be, if you don't have sufficient talent here in Australia to offset such a rule, well, why don't you have sufficient talent here in Australia to offset, offset that sort of rule? That's exactly the sort of thing you should be trying to build, the extra talent to make sure that you do have enough there to offset that sort of retirement rule so that if guys want to go to Europe and earn £6 billion for 10 minutes on the field, then, yeah, fine, good luck to them, but you're not going to wear the Wallaby jersey. Well, that's a great segue because obviously here on Splinters, Yes, we like to have a whinge. We'll have a complaint about what's going wrong, but we'll also like to try and give some perspective, some what do they need going forward. And as I said, here on Splinters in the wider Triple H team, we have some great rugby experts. We've got Shane Evans, who obviously involved with the Ringer Rats. We heard him in part one of the in the Super Rugby preview. We've got Jake Aquilina, an active player, part of the Forestville Rugby segment. And who can forget Alex Bellamy, uh, vice president and captain of the women's uh, Hornsby Lions rugby club. But I think sometimes when you're a bit too involved, when you're a bit too close to the fire, and this is why I mentioned on the top of when I was introducing this segment that, yes, I am a 76-game veteran of the DY Lions back in under-7s to under-12, but now I'm, I'm pretty much what you'd call a lapsed fan. Uh, basically, my dad is still a big rugby head. He'll be watching everything, but when I go to their place, I'll, I'll basically just tune out if the game is on. It's, it's the people like me and it's the people that don't have a lot to do with rugby is who they need to be targeting, who they need to be getting involved to have that different lens, to have maybe think outside that rugby square in order to, to get the extra participation, to find the new stars, to find those next generation and Greek, like I remember back to the heyday, the, the Gregans, the Larkhams, the John Eels, and you'd put them up against any rugby league, any um, AFL players. And they were up there now for the exception of maybe Michael Hooper. And even to a lesser extent, even to a lesser extent, they don't have those household names. So I think for going forward, there's a bit of a circle, which I'll come back to, at, by the end of the episode. But for moving forward, they need to find those next generation. They need to find that cattle, as you mentioned, Keith, so they don't have to be going back to these pe- these players that have done their time and gone to Europe. First off is a, is a proposal that I've put up on the bench probably a couple of times, and I'm going to revisit it here again. The Western Sydney catchment area is probably one of the biggest football catchment areas in Australia. We've seen it with the West, with the Greater Western Sydney Giants coming in and wanting to own that territory. We see it with Rugby League and the, the amount of clubs that are out there, even down to, to Sydney Shield, Ron Massey level, and the amount of players that they can turn out there. The plethora of, of, of association football that's out there. But 
the one thing you do notice is the extreme lack of rugby representation in that area. You did used to have the the Parramatta Two Blues and the the Penrith and the Western Sydney side. Now they've basically combined into one, and it's a shame to see because there is that talent there. There is a place for them to play, but there's no incentive. The biggest club in Sydney rugby at the moment is Sydney University. And the way that is is because they're basically offering a foot in the door for people to play their rugby, to play their sport, but also learn at the same time. So I'll put this to you, Keith, and it is something I've put up before, so maybe you'll know where I'm going with this, is why wouldn't Rugby Australia partnership up with Western Sydney Uni and with the Western Sydney Two Blues, and offer something similar to what Sydney Uni do. They can have, they can put a bit of money into the university. They can have all the training grounds that they need on campus, but also provide that education. It'll be something I can tell you that the Sydney Shield and Ron Massey clubs out in that area would absolutely loathe because, as I said, it's another way through. It's another way to get that education. It's a, it's a different option, and there'd be a bunch of players out there that would jump on that on that on that opportunity to learn and play as well. They would. The question then becomes, where do they get the interest from Western Sydney University to pursue such a project? There's no doubt that it would be financially beneficial in the short term for Western Sydney University, of which I'm a proud alumni, to go into such a partnership. But if you do get to the position where you can pull this off, all of a sudden, if Rugby Australia is coming in and offering this sort of money, knowing that Sydney University is still the the feather in the cap and the prize that they wear so proudly and prominently... What's to stop someone like the Penrith Panthers uh, at the Kingswood and Warrington campuses? The Bulldogs go on to the Bankstown campus. There's a campus at Rydalmere, which Parramatta Eels would be all over like a cheap suit. There's a Campbelltown campus, and West Tigers have been pursuing that as the location for their Western Sydney Centre of Excellence for quite some time. Where does the buck stop? if Rugby League then decides to start pursuing that as their own centre of excellence option, and then how committed will rugby be to it if they've got competition? Because Western Sydney, we've seen it with results on the field. Everybody affiliates with Sydney University because they can get the education and they can win the competition at the same time. So they get the best of all worlds. Where would the interest be from rugby to continue to pursue that option if all of a sudden they had real competition from Rugby League? Are they genuinely committed to trying to get into Western Sydney? And I would say no, they're not, because I don't see Rugby Union as having a future in Western Sydney, to be perfectly honest, because if you're going to have a future in Western Sydney, then the AFL has already discovered how much effort and money and time has to be put in to make sure that they get a foothold because Western Sydney is divided between league and soccer. That's it. If you're not playing league, you're playing soccer. And to break down that divide, I think, is proving incredibly difficult for any sport trying to get a foothold as a winter football code outside the round ball game and rugby league. 
Well, you do make a very good point there. And as I said, if you if you did take it to that level, they'd need to have some sort of rugby background before they made it to that level. And uh, I'm going to reference a good article that I saw on the Northern Beaches Sports Tribune, part of the Today's Dale group that probably a few people have seen around the traps. We'll, we'll share the link in the uh, in the podcast uh description on Facebook, that's facebook.com slash the bench HHH, you'll be able to see it there. And and Matt Cleary writes about a, a gentleman that has been doing rugby programs for schools, but the problem is that it's it's a it's a schools love when sports come in and wanting to do programs. The AFL do it, rugby league do it, soccer do it. Um, rugby union not so much because, as I said, as we said at the start of the the show, that there's a lot of funding going to places like Israel Folau and uh, other sources when it really needs to be spent on grassroots. Unfortunately, we're not seeing that at the moment. Where now. Then the kids now will start going and even going to Western Sydney Giants game, like to the Greater Western Sydney or whatever they're called, um, Giants games. And rather than as, as they're exposed to these in schools, so if we're not, if they're not going to spend the funding to do a, a partnership with a university and get the get the elite players playing in the Sydney competitions. Do they then go and try and get into the schools and and use the money that way to, to find the guys to go in and run the programs at school, to try and get the Michael Hooper appearances, to try and build that next generation that they so desperately need in order to stay alive? you got a few problems there that need unpacking. The first is, okay, where are you going to get the money? Because you've just thrown it down the toilet in having to pay out Israel Folau. And Rugby Australia, if they were so desperate to hold on to the Qantas sponsorship that they would go down that path, then Qantas is either pouring a bucket load of money in or Rugby Australia have the inside of a donut in terms of financial clout to begin with, and they have no reserves. The second thing is the development in schools. And you have to be careful in terms of taking school participation at the same rate as weekend participation because the AFL counts school participants the same as they do weekend participants. So when they say they've got a million kids around the country playing their code, well, no, they don't. They've got them doing the clinics in schools. And full credit to them, they do the clinics in schools much better than what the NRL and the NRL clubs do because they do it for free and they have all these giveaways and they give away tickets and all that sort of thing, which is exactly what the NRL should be doing rather than leaving it to the New South Wales Rugby League and we've already spoken about the New South Wales Rugby League <laughs> at length in terms of how they do development. Then the third problem you've got, okay, we can, we can bring out the elite players. Where do you want to make the inroads? Western Sydney. Okay, how many Wallabies, knowing that they train normally at the SFS, at the moment they train at Randwick, how many Wallabies live in Western Sydney knowing they have to play in the city and train at Randwick? Seriously, how many of them would it be able to locate Woolloomooloo? Um, no, I was going to say Woolloomooloo, but Warramoo. How many of them could locate Warramoo on a map? They don't go as far as Katoomba for their holidays. This is the <laughs> problem that Rugby Australia faces 
is they don't have guys from those areas anyway. They come up through the elite private schools that are all located on the North Shore and in the eastern suburbs. Apart from Kings, when was the last time Kings did anything at elite rugby level? This has been a complete turnabout because it used to be Kings and Joeys and everybody else was making up the numbers. Kings don't give us give stuff anymore by comparison to what they used to. So you don't have that elite presence in Western Sydney. There's no elite school presence in Western Sydney. The players don't live in Western Sydney. Where's the incentive for them to go to Western Sydney? They're more than happy to go to the Randwick and the Maroubras and the Clavellis of the world and then go to the North Shore and then go to the Wallaras. These places are rugby heartland anyway. The only competition they're getting from rugby league in these areas is from the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And if you're following the South Sydney Rabbitohs in those areas, then you're probably not going to be a rugby fan anyway and vice versa because of the sort of demographic that South Sydney have traditionally utilised. And I'm not referring to race, I'm referring to socioeconomics because South Sydney until Russell Crowe came along were always the poor downtrodden club, basically the western suburbs by the beach. And that's exactly how South Sydney were always done, and that's what they've always pursued. And they still bring their players from those poorer areas through, and the wealthier guys go off and play rugby union. So again, you've got those three points, and I don't know where Rugby Australia starts to address the problem, unless, forget about the university affiliation, if you have a Rugby Australia contract, then Rugby Australia gets to tell you which club within your provincial super rugby team Mm. if you contracted to rugby australia and play for the new south wales waratahs then new south wales rugby can tell you where you go and play and you have no right of dispute if rugby is serious they would instruct rugby new south wales to send these guys to play for what was Parramatta, now the western sydney two blues you would send them to go and play for eastwood because eastwood is as far west as you can go eastwood is still a quality team but yes. it's as far west as you go, except for Parramatta. And then the next furthest west you get, you're in the bush. So stack Parramatta with these players, and all of a sudden there will be an interest from these Western Sydney regions to go and play rugby. And then all of a sudden you can bring Penrith back, and you stack Penrith with a whole heap of rep players. Then there's a bit of interest there. And, yeah, it'll start small, it'll start slow, but if you want to start playing at the highest level, that's where you have to go. Yeah, and, and as I said, there's a lot to read in this article as well. As, as I said, it does mention in New Zealand that if you if you go to school in New Zealand, there's enough kids to have a rugby team. They'll have a rugby team. Whether that's true here in Australia, they don't have the competition in New Zealand as they do in Australia. They probably have to do something different. I know time's of the essence, Keith, but I do want to just quickly touch on my sort of circle of life for the Rugby Australia. In order to become a force, they need the they need the young kids playing. They need that next generations of stars coming through. For that, they need the funding. But to get the funding, they need to be getting the results now. The problem is, but also to get the kids, they need those results now. So for, in my mind, it's just a big circle of life between the young kids, the next generation coming through, into funding, into results now. But in my mind, to start that wheel in motion, they need the results now. Unfortunately, without those other pillars, they're not going to get those results now. So I think 
in the next few years, it's still going to be a big hole that Rugby Australia is going to have to dig themselves out of. For once, we agree. Wow. And I think mm. with that, we'll have to end this episode of Splinters. I thank Shane Evans for being on part one for the Super Rugby Preview. Keith, I'd call it a pleasure, but we know we know better. It's an endurance. <laughs> Well, for Shane Evans, for Keith Topolsky, I am the wise man, Matt Mears. Thank you for listening to this episode of Splinters. You can always catch the bench Friday night, 6 to 8 p.m. on Triple H. We'll be back with another episode of Splinters next week. So from the team, it's goodbye for now. Mm-hmm.